Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Why don't we just pray together before we come to God's Word? Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you for uh, these young lives that we have uh, celebrated, that we have uh, marked, and we thank you for, Lord, just the safe arrival of those children, that you have kept them safe up to this point, and we pray your continued hand of protection over them. And uh, Lord, as we come now to look at the Bible, which we believe is your very word to us, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to bring it alive to us. We pray that this will not just be dead words that were written thousands of years ago, but that these will be your very words to us in 2017. And we pray that you will do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to... um, look at a short passage from the Bible, and we're going to uh, read a passage that comes from this book called the Psalms, which Owen referred to before. And if you've ever heard the story of David and Goliath, most of us have heard that story when we were in school assemblies. Well, many of the Psalms, Psalms are like songs and poems, were written by the same David who uh, threw the stone at Goliath and floored him. And he became king over Israel and wrote then many of these psalms. And we're going to read one of his psalms. We're going to read the first part of one of these psalms that he wrote uh, so many thousands of years ago. But still, I, I think God can speak to us through it today. So Psalm 68, and we're going to look at verses 1 through to 10. And the words will come up uh, just behind me. So this psalm starts off, it says, to the choir master. So it was definitely intended to be sung. I won't make you sing it today, but that was the intention. This was written as a song for the people of Israel to sing together. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before the Lord. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. I don't know about you, but every now and then I realize that there's something of the child still in me. And uh, psychologists will often write about the inner child, won't they? 
And uh, I know that there's something of the child still in me, and I've known that the last couple of weeks as I've been driving around the streets of southwest London. I have found my eye drawn to uh, some particular trees that have started to turn. The leaves turn on this particular tree, a horse chestnut tree. They're about the first leaves to turn yellow and brown in the autumn. And I find my eyes drawn to those trees, and I find my eyes more drawn to the pavements underneath. Because a horse chestnut tree is, of course, a conquer tree. And I have found myself looking at the conkers, okay, underneath. Until the day came where I could resist it no longer. I pulled off the road and I parked and I picked up a handful of conkers. And I remembered back to the days when my dad uh, used to, we used to go and collect conkers in Greenwich Park and bring them back home and he would get an old bit of wood and he'd get hold of a, an old meat skewer and a hammer and he'd knock a hole in it and then we would do that very weird British thing of putting this thing onto a bit of string and trying to lock the living daylights out of it. And so I, when I picked these up, I picked up one, which is still in its case. And so I'm just going to share the moment with you, okay? It's very simple. But do you know what? It's, I still just think it's great. <laughs> I do. It's shiny and it's brown and there's just loads of them on the ground. And you can do all sorts of things with them. You can roll them. You can count them. And uh, so I know that there's still something of the child in me. I don't know if you recognize that too. There's something about awe and wonder that children have that just is just really magical. I was uh, on holiday. Some pictures are going to come up in a moment. I was away with some friends who've got two young boys. I've got three young boys. One of them is still a baby. And, uh, and the two older ones, one is uh, eight and the other one is four, uh, just had such fun discovering uh, that uh, we, were, we were in the new forest and we were walking past this stream. It was a beautiful day in June. And they discovered that actually their, their shoes could float. Okay, and so uh, we got into the water together. It was a very shallow stream, and they took off their shoes, they put them in the water, and they just spent about 45 minutes floating their shoes down the stream. Um, and they had races. They, they then gave their shoes names and were cheering them on. And, uh, and at some, one point, Uncle Phil thought he should probably just give a bit of technical advice about the best way of, you know, d building the dam, etc., which was completely ignored. Um, but then the oldest one just discovered suddenly that actually if you put a bit of wood here, you can make the water go quicker. And so that you can see in there just putting a bit of wood in the stream there that dammed it up a bit, and so that forced more of the water through a smaller gap, which meant that his shoe could go faster than his brother's. And we spent about, as I say, 45 minutes just just floating shoes down a stream. And it's probably uh, some of the nicest 45 minutes I've spent. It was simple. It was childlike. There was loads of awe and wonder. They were shouting their heads off and screaming with delight. There's something about children 
and recognizing the awe and wonder in the world, that's just really quite beautiful. And you know what? David was a classic example of a grown-up man who acted like a child. And you read some of his other psalms, he just expresses just wonder. He says things like, oh, in Psalm 139, oh, God, I thank you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Your eyes, they weren't hidden from me when I was knit together in the secret place in, in the womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Oh, my goodness. It's like awe and wonder. And sometimes he talks about creation like that. There's a, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 104. And it's one point when he says, oh, God, how many are your works? You made them all in wisdom. The earth is full of your creatures. There's the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with life. Oh, there the ships go to and fro. You know, it's like a little boy standing on the side of the docks. Oh, look, there's another one going to and fro. And he says, oh, and there's that big fish, the Leviathan. You made him, and there's this wonderful word that David used, you just made him to frolic there in the water. David just is childlike in his wonder. And children point us towards that. When we become a bit old and sophisticated, you just, if you're lucky, you get moments every now and then where you can paddle in the stream for 45 minutes and race shoes. And it's just great. And you know what? Actually, becoming childlike is something that Jesus gives us permission to do as well. And we know that because we heard some of those verses read a little bit earlier when Emma actually read them about what Jesus said when the disciples were having a bit of an argument. And so in the, the 12 disciples, we know that they were around the time Jesus was around and he had his 12 main men, if you like, and they are having this argument. We read about it in Matthew 18, it says this, at the time, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, who's greatest? And calling to him a child, and the word there is for a little child, calling to them a, a little child, so an Adam. You know, like we had Adam, didn't we, standing here? That innocence, looking at me, nodding. Yeah, yeah, no, I say, I'll have that, I'll have that blessing. Yeah, thank you very much, yeah. A little child he puts a little child in the middle. And he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, the disciples are trying to work out, you know, where am I in the pecking order here? Uh, so, so, so I'm a businessman, says Peter, who's a fisherman. I run a business. And, and then there's uh, Matthew, who's a tax collector, who's probably quite rich. And it's like they're saying, okay, so who's the greatest then? So, so surely greatness in your kingdom, God, is to do with power and influence and, and money or oh, an education and all those sort of things. So, so how does it rank, God? Where do we come? Can you just, Jesus, can you just rank us? Who's going to be the top? Who's going to be in the greatest? And then who comes? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You've got it completely wrong. If that's how you think God works, if that's how you think the kingdom is, you need to turn. You need to become like this. So how do you become like a child when you're, when you're an adult? How do you do that? Well, I think this psalm that we've just read gives us some little indications. I think David gives us some clues. And with the time that I've got left, I want us to just look at some of those little clues I think David gives us about how we can become a child. So the first one 
So I want to read actually the, just this little, little, little section of what we've already read, and then we'll look at these, these four things, these four clues that I think David gives us. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. Another way that that can be translated is he sets the lonely in families. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. The rebellious dwell in a parched land. You see, David gives us some help in this psalm. I think it's all to do with David's view of God and David's response to God that helps him to become childlike. Let's see the clues he gives us. So first of all, father. He uses that word father when he talks about God. You know, Jesus tells that story, doesn't he, about the disciples needing to become like little children. And then he uses this interesting word. He says, unless you turn to become like little children. There's something we have to do. There's a turning. There's a turning for us. And perhaps one of the most beautiful and powerful stories in the New Testament of the Bible is a parable, a story that Jesus himself told. And most of us will have heard it in assembly at school. And that's that story of a wayward son called the prodigal son. A wayward son who is defiant to his father and turns away from his father and walks away and squanders all his father's money. And that son comes to a point where he turns. He doesn't turn even because he wants to be back with the father. He's not there thinking, oh, what have I done? I, I, ought, to, you know, I ought to go and make amends. He just turns because he's run out of money and everything's gone and he's eating food with the pigs. And do you know what he says? Well, even my father's servants eat better than I do, perhaps if I just go back. And then on this long journey back, perhaps something happens to this young man as he comes back. He turns. And there's this picture, isn't there, this wonderful picture of a father who's not standing there with his arms on his hips like that, but a father who... Jesus' story tells, has his arms open wide, has been looking out for this son, and the Bible says he runs. He runs to him, and he embraces him. And the wayward son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He's got his lines already. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He's barely got those words out of his mouth. And the story tells us that the father says, almost, shut up. Servants, bring the best robe. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a feast. My son's back. The son had got the lines all rehearsed. But the father didn't need to hear them. Because the son had turned. And the father welcomed him back with open arms and embrace. It's one of the most beautiful and powerful stories that just tells us a little bit and gives us a tiny picture of what God is really like. And what that means is that when we turn back to him, when we turn, we can do it without fear because he will accept us. He will embrace us. He will run towards us. He will run towards you. 
But there is an action that we have to take. And it's that word turn. I have to turn. So David talks about father. That's one way we can become more like a little child is to recognize that God is a father and we can turn. And we can turn to him. Let's look at another word. Protector. Protector. That, that psalm says, Father to the fatherless and a protector of widows. Do you know how good it is when we experience God as a protector? One of the things that can just take so much of our energy is trying to protect ourselves. Particularly our reputation. I um, drove past this building the other day and uh, I don't know if you can see it. it's not very clear really with the light but but actually the whole of the of the back bit of the building had been taken away it's a building that was be- was built well over 100 years old uh, 100 years ago and i guess because of the planners and planning permission they've been desperate to develop it but somebody has said well you can't take away what this building looks like on the outside and so they've gutted it there's nothing behind it there's just what we call a facade it's covered in scaffolding to hold the facade up. Because if the wind blows, I guess it's going to come down. So a huge amount of effort has gone into holding up this facade of the building. But behind it is emptiness. In fact, behind it is like rubbish. It's a building site behind it. But they've, just, they've had to work really hard at holding up the facade. I drove past that the other day and I thought, oh gosh, that's a bit like, that's a bit like us, God. Sometimes we have to work so hard at just holding up appearances, holding up a facade. And behind all of it, you know, the facade that I show to everybody else, the things that I want other people to think about me, and I have to try and keep, keep that facade up. And boy, it's wearying. And it's hard work. And actually, when I get home by myself and I'm in my bed and I just think, gosh, if only they knew. Do you ever have that feeling? <laughs> if, only, if only people really knew. And David says, look, you need to view God as your protector. You don't need a facade. Because if he's your father, he accepts you and he will protect you. Do you know what? When you begin to realize that, it's, oh, it's releasing. I think I don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't have to worry about being my own protector. Trying to keep up my own facade. I know what's behind it. There's just some emptiness and some brokenness behind it. Oh, if people really knew. But I'll work hard at keeping up the appearance, the facade. I need to protect myself. And David says here, no, no, no. He's a father to you and he's your protector. He's your protector. You know, when you come to know God as your protector, oh, it's wonderful. I'm not saying that every now and then I, I forget and I have to keep coming back and saying, no, no, no. Okay, it's God, it's you. you you're, you've got my back. You hem me in behind and before. That's another psalm of David's. You hem me in behind and before. No, you're hemmed in. You've got me. You've got my back. You've got my front. You've got my sides. You've got me, God. Okay, great. David's saying here, if you become like a child, then you accept God as your protector. Do you know what those children that came out the front here... 
they're, they're not worried that anything's going to happen to them because they're with their parents and they just know their parents are going to keep them safe. They're going to protect them. There's no worry in that child about, oh, what were they th- Do you know, Adam, wasn't that beautiful? He doesn't really know me very well, but it's just beautiful. He says, not yet, yeah, okay. This strange man who's kneel- knelt down with a microphone, he's saying these strange words. I don't understand a word of them, really, but totally safe because I'm standing, I'm standing next to mum. Mum's got my back. Okay, I'm protected. And that's what God promises for us. If we will turn, he promises to be our protector. David says he is our protector. Two out of four, we're doing well, aren't we? We've only got two more to go. Here's the other thing that that David describes as God as. This is a bit of an odd one. Settler. Settler. He says, God settles the solitary in a home. God settles the solitary in a home. Now, there was a study done fairly recently, the last couple of years, where they discovered through a through huge survey that um, out of 28 European countries, Britain comes 26th in terms of people's loneliness. So in other words, the rest are better than us, much better than us. In terms of people saying that they had someone to rely on if there was a crisis, the answer to that question, Britain came 26 out of 28. And some people describe loneliness as an epidemic. In fact, recent studies in America and in the UK have discovered that loneliness is a bigger predictor of early death than obesity. You know, you're better to carry a little bit of weight and have lots of friends. Now, you're better really not to, have, not to carry the weight and, and have friends. That's, the, that's even better. That's even better. But actually, that's what it's saying. It's saying that actually loneliness is a killer. And in our society, it's endemic. It's epidemic proportions. But God settles the solitary in a home. And actually, the guys who this morning have brought their children here to be prayed for, as Owen said, one of the things they're seeking is the help of the community, of my family, my immediate family, and my friends, and my church family. Help, I need you. It's sensible. God settles the solitary in a home. But actually, that's not just if you've got children. I've told this story to the church before, and I'll, and I'll just tell it again, that actually as a single guy with no children, I found a home here, and I was able to embrace and share other people's children. I was one of the people Owen was talking about when he said we had other people around us to help. And do you know what? It wasn't because I thought, I, will, I am the martyr here. I will offer to babysit the three girls. I will. No, I loved doing it. Delighted to do it. Daisy, you remember? Yeah. Remember walking down to the baker's when you came and stayed with me? Anyway, anyway. Yeah. It was a delight. God places the solitary in a home. He settles the solitary in a home. But do you notice that, that there's something around that, that, that God does the settling? I don't do it. God does it. And that's why I have to be really careful about not saying, okay, I, well, well, I'll choose where I'm, I'll, I'll choose my friends, I'll choose where I'm going to go, I'll choose, no, 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 I'm much better if I get, if I let, let God settle me. 
God settles the solitary in a home. Let him settle you. Do you know what? If you're thinking, oh, I just, I'm just feeling a bit itchy feet and I just want, I'm just, uh, perhaps, oh, perhaps I could go and move abroad. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Maybe. But actually what David says here is God settles the solitary in a home. Let him settle you. He'll do a far better job of it and you'll be far safer if you allow him to settle you. God settles the solitary in a home. Last one. Rescuer. Rescuer. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Uh, finally, David recognizes that God is a rescuer. He's a savior for prisoners. You know what? Prisoners have no freedom. They have no control. They are locked in. Sometimes prisoners are in prison for just and right reasons because they, their actions have deserved it. And sometimes prisoners are in prison because they live in a regime that's unjust and they shouldn't be there. Whatever reason... God is a rescuer, and David sees God as a rescuer. And you know what? All of us, the Bible says, are prisoners. Well, I don't feel like a prisoner, thanks very much. But actually, the Bible is very clear. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all prisoners, and we need a rescuer. And the rescuer came in the form of Jesus Christ who came and took the punishment that should be mine because I deserve to be a prisoner, actually. If you knew what goes on in my heart some of the time, you'd, you know, by goodness me. There was a very well-known Christian leader called John Stott. He was probably one of the most humble, nicest men you'll have ever met. And towards the end of his life, another church leader spoke to him and just said to him, oh, John, you're just, you've been fantastic the whole, your whole life through. You're just such an example of humble leadership. And John Stott said to him, oh, if you really knew me, you'd spit in my face. Because John Stott recognized that there was loads of stuff still in him. He recognized that he was a sinner, but he needed rescuing. And the good news here is that God, David says, is a rescuer. And maybe you're feeling imprisoned in other ways. Maybe there's a life circumstance that's hemming you in at the moment. You just think, I, don't, I have no idea how I get out of this. I have no idea what's going to happen. This has all just crumbled. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it's going to end up. I feel completely powerless and locked in. I just don't know. I've got nowhere else to go. I've got, uh, my intelligence isn't helping me with this. My network isn't helping. I haven't got the money. To, uh, no, money's not, uh, nothing's helping. I'm just imprisoned by this. I'm completely in lockdown. I, I'm helpless. I'm at the mercy of others. And David says, oh, God's a rescuer. You cry to him, he'll rescue. He'll rescue. And that indeed is the story of many of us who are Christians who sit in this room today. <laughs> that at one point or another in our lives, he came to the rescue. He came to the rescue. There's a man called Abraham Maslow. We're going to have a little diagram up. And Abraham Maslow was a, an American psychologist in the last century. And he identified that for people to really thrive, for ch and for children to really thrive, they needed all these things, and you had to start with the bottom ones. So the first one, 
physiology. That means I need to have all my physical needs met. I need to be safe. I need to be clothed. I need to be warm. I need to be fed. I need to be watered. That's the first thing I need. I need all of that before, before anything else. What comes next? I need to feel safe. I need to know I'm protected. I'm safe. Nobody's going to get me. I'm safe. So I've got my physical needs met. They're all provided for. My needs are provided for. I'm safe. Oh, my shoulders are getting, beginning to come up a bit now. Okay, so my needs are met. I'm safe. And then I need to feel that, I, that I'm loved and that I belong. That's what Abraham Maslow, he did this huge study of successful people. And he, and he found that that's what helped them. They, they felt, they felt, they'd had all their meet, n- needs met. They felt safe. They belonged. They belonged. Because of all those things, they had what he called good self-esteem. What I would call that is being confident in who you are, confident in your identity. So, so I'm loved, and I belong somewhere. I feel part of something, and 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 so therefore, actually, my identity. Feel, oh, I feel I feel safe in my identity. Okay, and then at the top of that triangle, he had this thing called self-actualization, which actually means just being the best you can possibly be. What I would say about that, what I would call that, is becoming all God made you to be, becoming the best that God made you to be. And Abraham Maslow, who was not a Christian, I don't know if he had faith at all, um, but was certainly was not a Christian, he came up with this. And do you know what? There's, oh, I thought, oh, there's a lot of truth in that. And what David is saying in this psalm is that actually the place to look for all those things is to God. For my, for my resource, my supply, the one who will give me what I need, the one who will keep me safe, my protector. Love and belonging, knowing that he is my father that I am safe with him. And that helps me with my identity because, you know what, I belong to him. And that means that I'm okay. I don't need to have to keep working at the facade anymore. I'm okay. David has one warning. We'll finish off with this. Now, at the end of that list of four things that David suggests, those four ways that we should view God and seek to know him as our protector, as our father, as our settler. All of those things, he says, but. There is a but. Here's the but. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Parched land. It's like a desert where you don't have supply where you're thirsty all the time, where life is really difficult. And it's like David is saying, well, you know, you've got, you've got one of two alternatives. You can either seek to turn back to God as a child and inherit all this protection and care, become part of a church family, be settled, allow him to settle you, or you can live life like in a parched land where it's just always, always really, really difficult and you're just trying to scrabble around and find your own way. And David said, well, you know, you've got those two sort of alternatives. And there is on offer for, for us today from God that he will provide everything that we need in terms of our safety and security, his provision for us and his fathering of us. But there is a word that Jesus uses and it's turn turn. So I'm going to ask um, the musicians if they would just come back and we're going to just end with one song and Becky will play a little bit for us.
But I just thought that today there might be some people who this word particularly might apply to in one of those ways. Uh, that maybe you feel like you've had to work so hard and you're weary at, at building up the facade and keeping it in place when actually behind it all you're feeling a bit broken like that building we saw. And God is saying to you today, do you know what? You can turn. You can turn. You're safe if you turn. You come to me as father, you can turn your back on that and I will be your protector. You can turn. But to do that, we actually have to submit. And there's another verse in the Bible that says, submit to the Father. And I can either decide I'll go my own way, I'll keep being independent, or we can decide, no, actually, I'm going to submit. I'm going to turn, and I'm going to submit. And there might be just an area in your life where you're thinking, do you know what, I, I really need to experience God's protection here. I've tried to protect myself, and I realize it's not working, and it's wearying me. Oh, I, I would just love to experience God's protection of me. Or it could be that you're thinking, do you know what, I feel far away from God as a father. I, I, I've, I've messed up a bit, or maybe just life has led me in this direction. I feel a long way away. And he's saying to you, do you know what? You can turn. You can run back today. You can come back now because my arms are open wide. My arms are not on my hips ready to accuse you. They are open. You need to turn. Or maybe you're just feeling solitary and lonely. And actually the thought of being part of something, part of a family. God, I would love you to settle me. You know what? I just feel very alone. But this Bible verse that this guy has just talked about talks about you settling the solitary in a home. Do you know what? I just feel I'd love a home, God. I'd love to feel at home. Well, he, can, he can do that for you. He can settle you. Why don't we just all stand together? And if one of those things applies to you, if you feel like, well, yeah, I just feel like I've been protecting myself, and I would, you know what, I would just love to know God as my protector. If you feel, do you know what, I feel, I'd love to know God as a father to me, then then as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to just do something that feels a bit brave, but I'm going to ask you to just come out of your row and come and stand at the front here. And uh, do you know what? That can feel a bit scary, but do you know what? There's only really one pair of eyes that at this moment you need to worry about, and that's his eyes on you. Those are the only eyes you need to worry about right now, and those are eyes of acceptance and love and you can come and you can make that response and we can pray with you. Will you turn? Will you do the one thing that Jesus says? You need to turn. If you want to become a, see the kingdom, if you want to experience all of what God has for you, there's a turning to do. And he's calling you right now. So as we sing this song, if you'd like someone to pray with you, if you'd like to say, yeah, do you know what? I don't understand all this stuff this guy said, but, you know, there's just something. There's something where at least I'd like to just pursue it. I'd like to just understand a bit 
in God, if you're there, I don't even know if you are, but you know what? I'm just by coming forward, I'm just saying, if you're there, I'm interested. Maybe that's all you can say. God, I'm, if you're there, I'm interested. Maybe it's you come to your end of yourself. And think, you know what? I just need someone to protect me. I need someone to put me in a to put me in a place I can call home. And you come forward, and we'll pray with you. And today, you can experience God as your Father, your Protector, your Settler. So, as we sing, when you're ready, just come forward. Just stand at the front here, and we'll be really glad to pray with you. Close the meeting. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.